Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common. Go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this week's episodes. In the red corner... I've got a golden ticket. You've got a golden ticket. We've all got golden tickets, thus undermining the whole principle of the golden ticket system. As we open the doors and welcome you inside 1971's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Open it, Charlie. Let's see that golden ticket. Wouldn't it be fantastic? It's not fair to raise his hope. Never mind. Go on, open it, Charlie. I want to see that gold. Stop it, Dad. I've got the same chance as anybody else, haven't I? Because mm-hmm. I've got a golden ticket. I've got a golden chance to make my way. While in the blue corner, strap on your headset and get ready to roll with it. Do you know what I mean? Of course you do. We're heading into the Oasis. As Spielberg goes pop culture crazy in 2018's Ready Player One. My name's Wade Watts. My dad picked that name because it sounded like a superhero's alter ego. Like Peter Parker or Bruce Banner. There's nowhere left to go. Nowhere. Except the Oasis. So what connects these two films and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. The suspense is terrible. I hope it will last. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crumpton. I'm Chris Tilly. How are you both? Chris, looking lovely today. Isn't that shirt nice, Victoria? Yeah, and did you iron it yourself? Yes, I'm good, apart from the fact you stuck two fingers up at me during that intro. Vicky didn't see it, and I don't know why you did that. Why did you do that? <laughs> because he was rolling his eyes at my Oasis jokes. Oh, <laughs> son. I, I could them. tell. No, you didn't. I could tell. And I'm offended because you love a pun. Do you know what I thought it was? <laughs> no, I, wasn't, Oasis. <laughs> I wasn't looking, but I thought you were doing a flourish. To like, oh, no. for like a two, fest. Two fingers at me. Yeah. That's not how it's going to be today. No, it was just the, you have this way of looking at me, which upsets me sometimes. <laughs> and I just felt at the top of the show, it was the wrong look to give. So I swore <laughs> at you. Yeah, that's what happened. Charming. 
Uh, Vicky, mm. for another pastel this Thanks. week. Yeah, yeah. I, I just hadn't noticed. Is this a thing right now for you? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> okay, great. It's very hot in the studio today. I will say that. Mm. Very hot. Very hot indeed. You're going to undo that top button yep. already. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. This week, Willy Wonka versus Ready Player One. These were my choices. Why? Glad you asked. It's because I've got a golden ticket. <laughs> I've got a golden twinkle in my eye. Because you love musicals. <laughs> love them. Bloody love them. I don't. Uh, it's Spielberg season. I've only ever seen Ready Player One once, so thought it deserved a rewatch. And basically, it has the same plot as Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Chris said he would never, ever want to rewatch the Tim Burton version. And so here we are. We're doing the Wilder version. That's right, yeah? Yep. Sounds good. Yeah. We don't like the Tim Burton version? No. Not really. No, no one. I've just does. got no desire to watch it again, I suppose. I got a lot of time for that movie. I'm surprised. You should have picked it then. Well, <laughs> go against you. <laughs> uh, the clue uh, I gave uh, for this pairing on last week's show, uh, which according to Chris was way too easy. You win. You get everything. Good day, sir. <laughs> yeah, I did. That's why. That's why I didn't do much of a clue on the old twitters mm. um, because I thought it, it being a quote from the movie. I thought, well, people are going to be straight in there. Mm. But actually, no. No, no, no. We only have one right answer. Yes, I know. <laughs> um, so uh, shut up, uh, is what I'm saying. It was a great clue. I knew it was when I wrote it. <laughs> um, now, we've got some great guesses on Twitter. We're at ClashPod on Twitter. We're at ClashPod on Instagram. I will say this. Uh, if you listen to last week's show, after the kindred spirits clue Chris gave and the fact that people needed to spot that capital K to really <laughs> understand that it was a name. As one person did. As one person did. You've really opened a can of worms in terms of how people are analysing your clues. Let me give you a little example here from Paul Logue. So your clue on Twitter mm. was, this is an additional clue, something in brackets, you should already know one of the films is by this guy and it's a gif of Steven Spielberg. Yeah, it's the same one as a Spielberg film. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So Paul Logue, uh, Logue said... Uh, should is in brackets or parentheses. Parentheses is an anagram of Stephen's era with a PH, but Stephen can be spelt with a V, so I think it's to do with Steven Spielberg. Also, the phrase already known one contains the words ready one or first one ready. Therefore, his first directorial movie. So my guesses are the Sugarland Express versus Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factories. They both have sweet stuff in the title. It's good. It's good. <laughs> It's not right, though. It's solid logic. It is great logic. I mm. thought you'd appreciate that yeah. from Paul. Yeah, nice one, Paul. Uh, all right, let's get into the right answers. So, uh, Russell, Peter White, Ian Hughes, Russ and Ryan D all got it wrong. They said, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, you lose, you get nothing. <laughs> Congratulations to our only right answer, though. Joel Trodden, who said, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory versus Ready Player One. He even put the dates on. Joel, your prize is a golden ticket for a tour around the Clash Pod studio. It'll take about 30 seconds. It's very hot and that's not chocolate. We can't wait to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we do the connections? Yeah, I mean, contests is the obvious one. And to make it meta, we're doing a contest today about contests. Whoa. Hear that? <laughs> <laughs> that was me opening my fizzy drink. Soda stream. I brought my own fizzy water. I've got soda stream now. I'm really jealous. Mm. I really want one, but we haven't got space in the kitchen. We've got a tiny kitchen. Okay. Well, I could put it in mine and then I could just sort of bike it over to you. <laughs> yeah, that, I think environmentally, I think that's the right thing that's to right. do. That's what I need to do. Has it got lifting bubbles in it or whatever that 
shit's called. <laughs> Fizzy lifting drinks. Yeah, we go. <laughs> You're lucky Victoria's the one doing Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, if that's the extent <laughs> of your knowledge. Poverty. Yeah, kids who are poor. Mm, poverty porn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, competition creators who check the eligibility of their potential winners with a last-minute test. Mm. And, and equally contracts that maybe shouldn't be signed. Mm. Yes. Well, on that front, uh, entrusting multi-million pound companies to children with no proven track record of running a successful business. 100% agree. Um, and the heads of those companies acting like they've just suffered some kind of head trauma. Yes. <laughs> Any more? Uh, corn? No, it's, it's just one of those. It's funny that both the films, and one of them is kind of excusable because it's 40 years old. But it's things that we're not mad about kids actually doing. So we do want children to eat less sugar and we definitely want them to have less screen time. But in both of these films, mm. that's not the goal. Yeah, although at the end of Ready Player One, they do sort of go, mm, we're going to close the Oasis. Mm, yeah, on I've Tuesdays got, yeah. or something. Tuesdays and Thursdays. Oh, yeah. I mean, Thursday's the new Friday. I don't know what they're thinking. <laughs> I know what you mean regards children having less screen time, but mm. surely in children's films, it's all right. Yeah, okay. I feel like I let it off in the former. Yes. Okay. I mean, you, you should tell me how to raise children, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Let me just write this down, wait, and I can tell the kids later. I thought you, no, I thought you meant, when you said screen time, I thought you meant in the film. Oh, no. <laughs> I was going to say, it's a children's film. No, yeah, they should get loads of screen okay, time. Okay, that's where I wasn't, time. I wasn't trying to be rude. I was just... <laughs> all right, sorry. I, there, was, there was a crossed wire there. Yeah, kids watching a screen. Fine, I'm with you on that. We're always wait, trying to cut I'm, that down. I'm not now. I thought I understood what the fuck you were talking about. <laughs> what are you talking about? So I, I thought Vicky was saying that she wanted there to be less children, children on, screen on screen in the film. <laughs> right. The, and I was like... Eh, right, yeah, right, no, right. that's mean. Right. <laughs> it's a kid's film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you should get adults to play those child roles. <laughs> that would be weird. Um, okay, another couple of connections: people not being who they say they are. Slugworth in Willy Wonka and the avatars in China Chocolate in, in Ready Player One, mm. and um, teams trying to beat the system. Violet's got her factory, and IOI has their sixes. Oh, okay, yeah, that's good. Oh yeah, not Violet, Veruca. Veruca. You really why, don't why, know that movie, do you? Why do they both have a V at the start, though? It is lazy. Oh yeah, I, I don't know. Roald Dahl, great <laughs> author, so. Ask him. Jeez. It's much it's much simpler in final draft if you change the first letter. <laughs> and pure imagination, actually. That's used in the Ready Player One teaser. Is it? Mm. Oh. See what they were doing there. Didn't know that. That's good. But that's all I've got. Good trivia, Tilly. Right then. So, on Thursday, Chris is saying game on with Ready Player One, which means today, Vicky is being an absolute wonka. V, <laughs> take us on a journey. No touching, no tasting, no telling. No, not my rules for this podcast, but Willy Wonka's rules for his inventing room, where he's on an exclusive grand tour of his confectionery factory with some extremely relatable child types. The overindulged one, the spoilt brat one, the gum-chewing and TV-watching one, but also the poor one, poor old Charlie Bucket, who's poor because he lives off cabbage and also because his exhausted mum thinks there are 100 billion people in the world, so the daily grind has taken a harsh toll on her mental acuity. But despite having to work to fund his granddad's tobacco addiction, Charlie finds time to source a coin in a drain, which, because he's the honest child type, he'll track down the owner of to give it back on a whip. He'll take it home to his ragged mother so she can stop washing herself to death on a whip. He spends it all on chocolate, wins a golden ticket, and eventually wins a whole factory by being less awful than the other kids. <laughs> Very good. I am... Um, I... 
genuinely, it's funny that you picked up on the finding the money. In my memory, he does try and give it back to the nearest person to him. He thinks it's it's mm. someone else's. And the fact that he doesn't do that astonished yeah. me this time. I was like, I'm sure he go like he does what you imagine that character would do, <laughs> being our hero. It is confusing because he is he's meant to be the modest, honest, good mm. child. Yeah. Um, but it, is it stealing? I don't know. It was down a drain. It's fine. It's bad writing by Roald Dahl, I guess. Again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so how many times have you seen this film? I only ask because I've seen it a million times. So it, I, lo- I watched it a lot when I was a child, but also it came at the point when I was a student and um, uh, we would watch it to get to like to, to have like sweet porn and we would watch all these sweets and then we would smoke loads of weed and eat a fucking load of Haribo. <laughs> that was something that we loved to do. So that was like every... Yeah, Wait, every how Sunday. old are you in this scenario? Uh, 21. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I mean, this was just ever present in my childhood. Watched it a few times then and have not watched it since I've been an adult. Certainly not multiple times when I was 21. Mm. <laughs> yeah, pretty much the same story mm. for me. I, I watched it a lot as a kid. Um, and I remember that I said a lot as a kid, I said nil desperandum oh. uh, because I was a really fucking cool kid. <laughs> so I borrowed that from this movie. Awful. Yeah. Uh, but again, I haven't watched it for probably about 20 years and uh, without uh, incurring Chris's wrath by <laughs> saying too much at this stage, it was a very different experience watching it this was time. Was it? Oh, it mm. wasn't for me. I just have Because to... you were only 21 when you yeah. were stoned off your gourd, <laughs> shoving Haribo down your face. Oh, what's your favourite? <laughs> oh, happy days. Take me back. What's oh. your favourite sweet? Uh, good question, actually. That's a really good question. Probably a cobbler bottle, but a fizzy one. Fizzy one. one. Mm. What about you? Mm. I like. <laughs> I, I, I've been eating a lot of Kit Kats this week. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Why? Just this week? Uh, my mum gave me some Kit Kats. <laughs> <laughs> so your favourite sweet is whatever is to hand. It's whatever your mum gives you. <laughs> Pretty much. Why did your mum give you Kit Kats? <laughs> they were really useful though because the opening credits of this film, you're seeing chocolate being made. Yeah, and I yeah. thought, oh, I know what I want right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> but your mum didn't know you, she didn't know you were watching Charlie and the really wonderful No, it was a wonderful coincidence. <laughs> right. <laughs> Does she often give you food as a gift? Sometimes when I'm leaving, when I go to visit, as I'm leaving, she's she sort of chucking food at me. sweaty Snickers into your hand. Don't go without this no, She goes to the fridge. Rough out there. I left the you fridge. an arrow in your back pocket, Chris. <laughs> she gets nice food from the fridge. <laughs> and Kit Kats from the cupboard. Okay. I was going to say, she doesn't keep Kit Kats in the fridge. That's just crazy. People who keep chocolate in the fridge, no. Do you keep chocolate in the fridge? So I tell you what, if I've got like a big bar, but now I'm a grown-up, it's like dark chocolate because I'm a grown-up now. Once I've started it, it goes in the fridge. Right. <laughs> but... And also I don't finish it all at once, which is another mark of being a grown-up, mm. rather than just like wolfing the whole thing. Mm. Then it goes in the fridge, a little bit of a morning period, it's in the fridge for about another half day, and then I'll finish it. <laughs> you know chocolate has carbs in it, right? Because we were talking the other day about cutting carbs uh, out. No, it doesn't. It does? Uh, uh, it doesn't. So, <laughs> okay. Like, listen, carbs, bread, pasta, rice, is chocolate on that list? No. So <laughs> I, I can't get into this with you right now, but, but it does. So there you go. <sighs> Okay, so 
Do you want to know about this film? Yeah. yeah. I've done some research this week. I actually watched a YouTube documentary, which I very rarely do, uh, called Pure Imagination. The story, parentheses, making of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Such an imaginative title. Um, but it was very good. So, uh, director Mel Stewart's seven-year-old daughter, Madeline, told her dad uh, he should make this movie out of this book called Charlie and the Chocolate Factory mm. and get Uncle Dave to pay for it, David Wolpert, the producer. She then got a tiny role in Charlie and the Cho- Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. More on that later, actually. Uh, her brother David got a bigger role. Mm. Imagine she was probably fucked off about that. Are we called to just, rather than always correcting ourselves, if we call it Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, from Charlie. here on in, yeah. we are talking about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I think we should call it Willy Wonka and the no, Chocolate Factory. No, because it just, it's, it's, it's so easy to say Charlie and the Chocolate Factory because that's what it should be called because it's alliteration. It really should be called that. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's just go through the reason, uh, well, the yeah. reason that this documentary explains for the change. Mm. So... David Wolper and Mel Stewart were working on TV shows for Quaker Oats, the popular brand of oats. Mm. And Quaker Oats wanted to launch what they call a candy bar, which in the UK is a chocolate bar. Mm. Okay. <laughs> um, so they, Mel Stewart's like, I've got a great project for you guys because I want to make a film that's about chocolate. <laughs> so why don't we do this together? It'll be great promotion. Which, uh, yes, I don't know, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Like, is that depressing that the, this much-loved film is basically a giant advert for a bar that then had to be <laughs> recalled from the shelves because of product safety concerns. Because it, it melted it on melted. the shelf. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. It. It's so funny. Yeah, we know oats. Uh, yeah, that's true. They <laughs> this, don't melt. This film is going to last longer than the chocolate bar in your hand. <laughs> it's uh, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, only good things come from uh, food companies uh, making movies. I mean, this, Mac and Me. I mean, the list goes on <laughs> and on. Santa Claus the movie with a bit, movie. Of, bit of Coca-Cola and yeah. McDonald's oh, involvement. Yeah. We, did, we did that of one. Of course. Mm. Three of the best films I've ever watched. <laughs> yeah. So because Quaker wants to launch a bar, Mel's just like, you should call it a Wonka bar. You can't call it a Charlie bar. And fuck it, we'll just change the title I'd, of the film. I'd like a Charlie bar. <laughs> 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 uh, what does that mean? What? What? I, I, it was making a cocaine joke. <laughs> oh, because you did a wanking sign. That's, that's what that looked like to I was me. doing a sort of general sort of lab <laughs> All right. Wasn't masturbating two invisible men. (laughs) Okay, so then, so yeah, Quaker didn't get their bar after all that, but we get this wonderful film, so that's fine. Um, (laughs) The script is by Roald Dahl, who wrote the book, for people that don't know that. Uh, But Mel Stewart said that the original story was missing movie elements, in particular a villain, which is true. Um, so they worked with a writer called David Seltzer who says in this documentary I went to Munich and walked into a situation that if it were presented to me today I wouldn't have done it (laughs) which is pretty funny it was a musical a big movie and he'd never written a screenplay before because he'd worked on TV and Mm. throughout the whole process he said it was one of you know it was very it was a baptism of fire he learnt a lot but he was panicked the whole way through that he could not deliver what he'd promised to deliver so are you saying that this creation of Slugworth as a villain Mm. was actually a necessity for this film because I don't think it is um, I think if you're a movie director and it, the book doesn't have a villain, mm. there is there's no jeopardy in that way. But aren't the kids each one of the the bad kids? Aren't they all villainous in their own little way? But they don't uh, slow down the hero in any way. No, that's true. Yeah, okay. It's funny, isn't it? Because the Slugworth plot is David Seltzer's thing, and it maybe isn't as it's a brilliant payoff at the end of this film, but it maybe doesn't have as big a role as you would imagine from a movie villain. Mm. Like, there's no chase. There's no. It also doesn't quite explain. Um, well, it uh, it does explain it, but it's a weird thing that he is there at every 
unearthing of a golden ticket, mm. which would suggest in some way that Wonka knows where those golden tickets are going to emerge and has set this whole thing up to ensure that there are four bad kids and Charlie yeah. who are getting the tickets. So right from the off, he has picked Charlie to take over the factory. Which is a nice thought, actually. Mm. Um so it was filmed in Munich, which Mel Stewart describes as a Neverland place, magical. You never know it's Munich, mm. unless I think if you're from Munich, and mm. then you might notice. And also, I listened to a podcast interview with Peter Ostrom, who plays Charlie, and Julie Dawn Cole, who plays Veruca, yeah. recently. And he, he suggested that they might have done it in Munich because it has very different uh, child labour laws oh, wow. <laughs> than America. <laughs> um, and the pair of them also say that, that Roald Dahl's name being on the script is really uh, false, that he really he walked away from it pretty Pretty early on. Yeah. He wanted no part of this and, and they don't believe it's his script. Yeah. I mean, he hated it. The final prod, he absolutely hated it. He said it was, quote, crummy. He tried to dis, uh, divorce himself from it. He was going to campaign against it. And then over the years, he mellowed because it found a place. He wouldn't He wouldn't let them have the rights to the sequel mm. as well. So we, bit, yeah. we never got a sequel. Maybe. And he wouldn't allow another, uh, another version to be made in his lifetime. Which is why Charlie and the Chocolate oh, Factory really? oh, came okay. out after he passed away mm. and his estate immediately went, here are the rights to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> Give me all that And they just money. sold them again. Did you see Timothy Chalamet's oh. going to play Willy Wonka? In an origin really? story. An what origin on earth? Story. Now, oh, I love no. Timothy Chalamet and it'd be interesting. It's a musical and there are things that you love, but you're just like, Did, oh, all the things. Who is crying out? Who is there gnashing their teeth going, I need to see Willy Wonka and how he came to be. Yeah, not Paul, I don't. Paul King, who did the Paddington movies, is directing. Oh, mm. really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, there's a lot going for it other than its existence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's talk about cast. Um, um, Mel Stewart and David Wolpe said they cast Gene Wilder the moment they saw him. Um, against Roald Dahl's wishes. Yeah. He wanted Peter Sellers. No, Spike Milligan. Spike, Spike Milligan. Milligan. Mm. Yeah. He's, I read, I read an, an extract from a book... <laughs> on Amazon mm. that said Peter Roald Dahl claimed that Peter Sellers rang him begging him for the role. Mm. Yeah. But he wanted Spike Milligan. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay, whatever. <laughs> Fine. Um, oh, you and your books. <laughs> With your reading. So Gene Wilder's got uh, quite a well-known funny story about how he envisaged the part of Willy Wonka, which Chris is going to play you a clip of because as he said to me outside, it's such a good story. I don't want you to tell it. I want Gene Wilder to tell <laughs> That's it. That's not how I put it. <laughs> I like to come out with a cane and be crippled. And I said, because no one will know from that time on whether I'm lying or telling the truth. And he said, you mean if we don't do that, you won't do the part? I said, yeah, I'm, that's what I'm saying. Come out and be crippled, okay, okay, we'll do it. And, uh, and I meant it too, because it was a tricky part. But that element of who knows, is he lying or is he telling the truth, was what my main motor was. And uh, and I liked that. It appealed to me a lot. Oh, I don't know why we don't have that music playing under this, this entire episode. <laughs> I just really calmed down. Yeah. yeah. I feel bad sort of being a little bit hyper now. I really want this to be just a really chill <laughs> yeah. podcast. Okay, we can, we can bring yeah. it down a notch. Can we? Can you? <laughs> <laughs> um... So yeah, I mean, I love Gene Wilder in this so much. It's difficult to understand why, because because you know you see it when you're a child and it just sort of implants on you. But he did you know much about? Because it's a weird one for me. Like uh, Gene Wilder 
at this point, when I saw Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, uh, and I saw it quite late, it had been obviously out quite a while, but I hadn't seen Young Frankenstein, I hadn't seen Blazing Saddles. Mm. I, to, to this day, I still haven't seen um, a lot, uh, any, I think, of his Richard Pryor mm. comedy. So Gene Wilder is a bit of an enigma to me, and this is the only role I sort of really associate with him. I, I watched all the Richard Pryor, Gene Wilder films when I was way too young. Mm. At the same time I was watching this, because some of the humour is very adult in those movies, and he's adorable and so funny. So this kind of freaked me out because he was this really lovely, adorable person in those other films. And in this one, he I found him slightly frightening. Mm. Fuck right. Yeah, he's terrifying he's in terrifying. this. David Seltzer sort of frames it like the other way around, that Gene Wilder brought a lovability to a part that had been written to be frightening. And he is quite scary in the books. Mm. He's manic in the books. But in this, in the film, he is just legitimately very scary. Yeah. And he said he found it hard filming some of the scenes where he had to be horrible to P2, plays Charlie. Yeah. He said he found that um, very challenging. Because there's a lot about how uh, close they became. They stayed friends for a long time after this, even though they didn't see each other. Like I think uh, Peter Ostrom, was uh, when uh, Gene Wilder passed away, he said uh, he gave a really a beautiful statement about it was like losing a friend. Mm. Yeah. I mean, he said in this documentary, which I thought was really um, gracious and generous, and, all, and I hope it's true. <laughs> it's a very actory thing to say, but the, the you get nothing scene, he didn't tell Peter Ostrom, he says, how mean he was going to be because mm. he wanted to say to him, I do love you and I'm, a gonna, and I'm about to shout at you, but I love you really. So let's just do this and off we go. I thought that was Mel Stewart. I thought Gene Wilder said to Mel Stewart, I really want to tell Peter that I'm going to go, oh, okay. I'm going to go nuts in this scene and <laughs> scream at him. And Mel Stewart, like in a lot of scenes in this movie, as we go through it, Mel Stewart basically held a lot of information back from people, especially the kids, mm. to try and get honest reactions from them. Yeah. I mean, he said if, if he had have told him, it would have robbed Peter Ostrom of his chance to be scared and be betrayed. And he was like, you know, the actor in him, I will be robbing him. And I thought that was, you know, if it's true, mm. <laughs> it's quite, you know, it's amazing. Um, if it's not true. Fine. He just wanted to shout at the kid. Great story, though. It's a great story. Mm. So do you want to know what the kids are doing now? Um, Peter Ostrom, do you know what he does now for a living? He's a vet. He's a vet. Mm. Michael I'm Bolnick. surprised. That's why I'm surprised that you found an interview with him on a podcast, because I thought he pretty much sort of didn't talk about this for a while, or I think he started to warm up to the idea a little bit. He does the odd interview and does the odd reunion, but he's been very quiet on it, because this is his only movie. Yeah, he yeah. says he goes and talks to kids at schools. Mm. Um, he talks about the fact, he talks about his experience in, in film and entertainment, but he also says to them that that's not the only thing and that his ambitions didn't lie in film and that there are other things you can do to help people that are nice. And he just seems like a very he sweet like man. He's a really, really nice they, person. They cast it so perfectly because he was clearly just oh playing God. himself. He's great in this. Yeah. yeah. Although they did, I thought this was horrible. They, they, asked, they told him he had to lose weight <gasps> to they? be in this film, oh which is a really horrible thing to ask oh, a 12-year-old child. Because he's meant to be starving. Yeah. Oh Munich rules. <laughs> uh, so Peter Ostrom's a vet. Michael Bulner. Uh, Bulner, who is Augustus Gloop. Guess what he does? Uh, there's a lot to guess with there. Um, there's a lot of jobs in the world. He is a telemarketer manager, though, not a salesman. He doesn't work on the phones, but he manages the office and he's very good at it. He's a tax accountant. Okay. Yeah, and whenever I see him in any photos or videos when we're doing the research this week, he's wearing the yes. traditional German garb. Yeah, like, he's yeah. wearing a Bavarian costume. He's yeah. got a little green jacket on yeah. and a little red tie. And he hasn't changed a bit. <laughs> I know uh, Mike TV actually ended up on TV. He was yeah. on an episode of Jeopardy and didn't mention that he was Mike TV from this movie. <laughs> Do you want to know what he does now? Go on. He's a financial consultant. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to know what Denise Nickerson, who plays Violet, is? I, just as long as you're building up to something. No, she's an accountant. Right. Uh, she's dead. 
Um, okay. <laughs> she was an accountant. Uh, Julie Dawn Cole, Cole, who plays Rue Soul, guess what she does? She had a career in acting. She yeah. did a lot of stuff after this. Yeah, and she's also a fitness instructor. She's right. Not anymore. She's now a therapist. Okay. Mm -hmm. How do you know that? Because <laughs> I listened to a podcast from a couple of years ago that starred Peter and her. Right, okay. Um, that's kind of it. And I she think. took and she took an everlasting gobstopper from the set. She sold it a few years ago and <gasps> used the money to pay for her daughter's wedding dress. So she <gasps> actually followed through on <laughs> she took Slugworth's promise. She seems like a very lovely lady, but she took a lot of stuff from that set, as you would expect Veruca <laughs> Salt to have done. <laughs> but she was apparently very nice, unlike the lad who played Mike TV, who yeah. everyone seemed to be quite annoyed by. Oh, yeah. He was just a yeah, bit of a brat it's when he It's really funny because... Um, Gene Wilder says very diplomatically, let's just say playing a brat did come very easily to him. <laughs> he does seem like a little bit, I mean, he seems like a bit of a nightmare. He describes himself, he's like, I was a five-year veteran of acting when I got the part of Mike TV. Which, wow. And he was like 12 wow. at the time. Uh, but, you know, be proud of yourself. We should, I shouldn't put him down for that. Um, that's all I have. Yep, good. Shall we talk about the film? I think so. Great. Okay, so here we are. Um, <laughs> we're going to establish how important chocolate is straight away. We're in a candy shop mm. <laughs> because Willy Wonka was born to be a candy man, which when you're British, you're just like, oh God, that's weird. And there's a line in a song here straight away where the shopkeeper tells a kid he was born to be a Wonka. Yeah. I've, I've, I've yeah. highlighted that. I mean, it's problematic. <laughs> this is, this, uh, there's a lot that is problematic in Bill. Bill, Bill the shop owner's shop. Because yeah. Bill basically hands out sweets for free to kids, gives them unlabeled drinks, lets them behind the counter, is fairly tactile with them <laughs> as well. I think we can all safely say, Bill's in jail. Um, <laughs> That's what's happening. I mean, it really was. It, it, this, I know we talk about it all the time, but it's hard for me to see because there's always a bit of a sting in the tail when you're like, it was a different time. Because mm. we're talking about sexual assault and things like that. And I'm like, I just don't see it. But with this, it, it just really was a different time because <laughs> you can have a shopkeeper who's talking about a man mixing things with love and making the world taste good. And no one's like, oh, hang on. That's, <laughs> uh, we might have a bit of a problem. I was like, okay, great. Well, I think you've both got sick minds. Also, you wouldn't, I mean, that would never happen now. The news agent near me, school kids, you're only allowed in you three, three at a time. You in the fucking shop. <laughs> you did, I mean, they're, they're... And you'd say to him, why are you singing a song about the horror icon Candyman? Yeah. Mm. That's a weird thing to do. Yeah, um, apparently the guy who wrote the song, Anthony Newley, really hated Aubrey Woods, who plays Bill, hated his uh, rendition of this song. He said it had no commercial uh, qualities about it and it was going to be the reason that I didn't get an Oscar nomination. Well, when, I, wow. when I realised Anthony Newley had written it, I couldn't understand why he wasn't playing that role. Mm. Like, he yeah. is. I, I know, you know, Sammy Davis Jr. apparently wanted it and Sammy Davis Jr.'s version is the one that most people would know. Yep. But like Anthony Newley would have been perfect there, but I think they, they said he was too famous at the time, so they wanted a, an unknown... Roald yeah. Dahl wanted this song out of the UK release because of the, you know, the irksomeness to him of Candyman and mm. things like that. Like it doesn't sit right. Um, but they good. Said that no. would annoy me. It's like it's like calling football soccer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like you say, this was recorded later uh, by Cannonball Run star Sammy Davis Jr. and was his only number one. And that's called seeding. I realised Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> has done more than Cannonball Run, but now we're going to be doing Cannonball Run soon on the pod. <laughs> 
clever, uh, clever me. So we meet Charlie. Charlie can only stare in envy through the shop window. <laughs> Goes past the factory, meets a right fucking weirdo. <laughs> he's like, he's a, no. He's a, he's a tinker. He's a tinker, yeah. No one ever goes in, no one ever goes out. All <laughs> with, of knives, this, with knives and meat cleavers. Meat cleavers. <laughs> it's like that guy. No one ever goes in, no one ever comes out. You got any meat you need cleaving? <laughs> Very sinister. In the book, all of this exposition is done by Grandpa Joe. Mm. So I suppose it makes sense for a film to, to break it up a bit. You don't want to overload that character too much and have him just be Mr. Exposition. Uh, but Lying, fraudulent Grandpa Joe. Yeah, he's a bad one, What on earth? I mean, fuck it. He nearly ruins the whole thing. He's he, what, He's about 60, 62, 63. Maybe, I mean, the actor is 64. He's been bedridden for 20 years. So at early 40s, he's gone. Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. Uh, daughter, and it's not clear if she's his daughter, but she provides him with the tobacco and he stays in bed the whole time until he's offered a factory tour. <laughs> That's what gets him out of bed. Yeah, yeah. and so, I mean, they, in the book, Charlie does have a dad, but they killed his dad. <laughs> uh, I suppose it makes sense to kind of ramp up the, the you know, that the family are very stuck and they've got no... I mean, Charlie's literally the breadwinner because he gets paid from his paper round and buys a loaf of bread from which they will have a banquet. <laughs> and then this bit about the tobacco, which is obviously of its time and I don't think is in the book, but this weirdness about Charlie paying for his granddad's fags, <laughs> basically. <laughs> uh, fine. So the challenge is on. If you find a golden ticket, you will get inside the factory. And the world goes mad. This, to me is where the film surpasses the book because you've got some chances like for some set pieces like sketches to show mm. how the world has gone mad. Um, mm. And this fun... Wonkamania. Yeah, because yeah. they were written by another guy, weren't they? This Robert Kaufman right, mm. wrote these uh, separately and he just uh, assembled all these wicked... And they are brilliant sketches. Yeah. Uh, mm. The one with Tim Brooke Taylor and the AI computer that he has an argument with yeah. is brilliant. The ransom, the ransom one. was ransom really, really very funny. Good. Yeah. That woman delivers, doesn't She's she? She's so good. Yeah, yeah. And there was one. That, there was one that didn't make it in that Mel Stewart said, where an explorer uh, climbs up to the top of a holy mountain, and there's a monk there, and he goes, he goes, what's the what's the meaning of life? And the guy goes, the monk goes, give me a Wonka bar, and I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. And the guy goes, I don't have one, and he goes, life is disappointment. Uh, <laughs> That is good. Yeah. Good adult stuff. Uh, so we go to Dusselheim and we meet Augustus Gloop, who is a boy with a healthy appetite. And they are German because Mrs. Gloop is wearing a dirndl and a Tyrolean hat. We are in Germany. Um, but he's like that in the book. Like it's, I don't get it. Like, oh yeah. I mean, why they have to be so very, very German, but uh, they are. So. Peter Ostrom said that the best bit about making this film was being in Munich and he got taken to Oktoberfest and got pissed on beer. Wow. <laughs> At 12 years old. Wow. <laughs> dream come true. Yeah, that is a dream come true. I'd love to go to Oktoberfest. It's the sort of thing I think I would love, but then when I was there, I'd hate it. Because it would be hard to get served, no? What, a, a beer festival? Yeah, because it's so In busy. Germany? I don't know. I, no. I think they're geared up to serve they, you. I think literally, the okay. one thing that you can definitely get within 30 seconds of going, I'm out of beer, is more beer. <laughs> if, you're, been... if your fear of Oktoberfest is not being able to get a beer, I think you've got it wrong. Yeah, I've been to a drinking hall in Munich, but it was a long time ago, so it's pre-table like table service in this country like as standard. And the minute we walked in, I just the panics. It's like, you do not go to the bar. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be all right. Like, I don't feel comfortable because I don't like to wait too long. But the beer, the, the size of the beers you get out there. I went That's to one true. in Berlin and it's like, you know, it took me two hours to get through the thing. It was like a barrel on the table. It was wonderful. Yeah. Should we go to Oktoberfest again? Oh, yes. Right. Love to. Now First you're talking. Yeah, loads of meat. 
Yeah. yeah, yeah, a pork knuckle. That's what I had. It was amazing. Yeah. Like deep fried. It's like, oh, it was fucking lovely. Mm, I don't yeah. know how they're all not dead. Like, how do they get past forty? <laughs> anyway, um, sauerkraut. That's one of your five. I a love day. sauerkraut. I mm. love sauerkraut. Anyway, sorry. Uh, sidebar. Actually, let's have a break and then I'll stop talking about cabbage. <laughs> if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Right, so then we're oop north <laughs> where Veruca gets a ticket oh, with Roy Kinnear, amazing. who, because I'm an idiot, I just, only on this watch did I realise that's Rory Kinnear's dad, even though they're identical. And I was like, he looks, how has he had such a long career? Oh, it's his dad. Mm. <laughs> Didn't know that. Um, also, is that Veruca's mum? Who's the northern woman in the that's corner? That's her mum. Rest- Do you not think that that family <laughs> dynamic is established in about three lines so perfectly yeah. where she says, mm. you're not going to be very popular around here. And <laughs> he's like, oh, that's right. Yeah, all right, Veruca, I'll get you your, I'll get you your golden ticket. You're like, this is amazing. I understand that dynamic in one line. I do get it. It's really good. It's just, I don't see why Veruca's when so disassociated mm. from her own daughter where she's just like, oh, trouble. Like, But yeah, she's a weird character, but I like that weirdness. Mm. Um, and then we've got Violet Beauregard, who's the gum chewer, which is, I've always found weird as a type mm. but Roald Dahl just hated kids with bad manners like he hated kids anyway but did he? Yeah. that doesn't come across <laughs> <laughs> he was
was not mad about them. Um, and I, he just hated kids chewing gum. He hated kids watching TV. Um, he was very, very judgmental. Which is weird when you read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory as a kid. You sort of take life lessons from that book. You yeah. go, okay, so these things are bad, but they're really just bad in Roald Dahl's opinion. Yeah, that's the thing. Because when you're reading this in the age that we are, you were also watching television. Television wasn't a new thing. Mm. And it was something that you did as well as read. And you were like, I'm managing it, Roald. I don't think you should worry. Yep. Thinks, uh, thinks kids are, are, are bad, but has no problem with poaching. Uh, he's, yeah. he's okay with Danny the Champion of the World being a, a, a popular Oh, God, you've gone back. I hate that bloody book. Why? Because of the... Fe- is it pheasants? No, I just don't think it's a very good book. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> but it's not about the pheasants. I'm not, not here... <laughs> Not out. here for the pheasants. <laughs> Not here to champion I mean, pheasants. There are some weird moral decisions he makes. So he's anti-chewing gum, but he's pro-slavery and battery yes. farms. So it's like, yeah. it's confusing what is right and wrong. Yeah, more on that later. Um, and then Charlie tells his mum about the, all these tickets being found. And this is something that I don't remember being in the book. And I think the dynamic between Charlie and his mum is a really welcome addition and it's very well done. I don't like the song, but I don't like musicals anyway. You're talking about when uh, the casino owner from Paraguay finds the final ticket. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you know who that photo's of? No. Uh, mm. Nazi war criminal Martin Bormann. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, wow. That is who uh, Mel Stewart uh, freely admits now. He's like, yeah, that joke didn't really land. No. Um, but that is who that photo is of Great. in the paper. Who was, who was apparently hiding there at the time. Well, that exactly. Was the yeah. Story. And uh, I mean, the joke only actually worked because they found his remains a year later. So at that point, the joke didn't work <laughs> at, at all on any level. <laughs> I think she, I think she's. Um, characterised like she's trying to just be a good mum by not getting his hopes up which there isn't enough of him in the book like his hopes are very much got up which <clears throat> does seem cruel uh, but then she says to him you don't really have a chance because there are a hundred billion people in this world and I think that's odd because there's not a hundred billion people <laughs> in the world so don't tell him that there are a lot of people in the world but there's not a hundred billion do you know what she had to leave school to look after fucking Grandpa Joe. Yes. So she didn't finish her education. So you'll excuse her if she doesn't know exactly how many people there are in the world. Yeah. She had to keep him in his tobacco. The bastard. And then we meet Mike TV, which, again, we've just said is another thing that Roald Dahl hates. It's just, I mean, it's a very strange line to tread when you're making a movie of your book mm. and you're like, oh, but TV is bad. I think um, that I, I don't remember that bit. I don't think that's in the book, and I certainly find it quite strange in the film. Um, I knew Mike TV was obsessed with TV. I don't remember. I mean, fair enough. It's an odd question to begin with when the journalist goes, "So you like the killings?" Um, <laughs> which is, you know, you're here to report on this kid winning a competition, and your question is about him liking the killings on TV. And that bit about Mike wanting to get a real gun. Yeah, I, don't I think that. I think he's got to pick a lane: TV or cowboy. Yeah, yeah fair enough. Yeah. Um, According to Wikipedia, that character was originally called Herpes Trout. Herpes Trout? <laughs> yep. um, the character of Mike TV was called Herpes Trout? Yep. Wow. What, in the book or in the film? In the book, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, Rob Ball had some strange ideas, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Um, some fantastic acting, face acting, by Peter Ostrom. Um, so, Roald Dahl in the book and then they do it in the film. He, like, rule of threes it with Charlie getting and not getting his ticket, which is good, very good. Yeah, it's brilliant. Mm. And it's brilliant in the book. But his little face, when the second bar doesn't have the ticket, <gasps> I know. And they, get, they hug. Grandpa Joe and him have that hug. But it's... he tries to make the grown-up feel better by saying, oh, I bet the ticket makes the chocolate taste terrible. Yes. Oh. My heart, breaking my actual heart. Um, But then he does get the ticket. And again, his little face when he gets it. No, I I think, because in my head, I remember this scene differently. And I think I'm 
tapping into memories I have of reading the book and what I visualised reading the book because I swore that he pulled off a little corner mm. of the foil and then the ticket was just poking out. But I think that's the book. So yeah. I was a little bit disappointed with the scene, even though it's still probably one of the best scenes in the film. Yeah, and he does such a good job mm. of looking thrilled to bits. Um, and then Slugworth is there to try and embroil him in what we'll find out is um, corporate espionage. Just espionage. going back to Grandpa Joe, Alex, how did you feel about him spending 20 years with his brother-in-law's feet in his face? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, you know what? I hadn't even thought of yeah, that. I, I thought of you. Absolutely yeah. horrible. I'm surprised you haven't brought it up. That's why yeah. I didn't bring it up. I was waiting for you to yeah. say something. And then he's I dancing around. because I couldn't see them. He's just... must be, he must be really lazy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Really lazy. It's the fact that he says, I haven't stood up in 20 years, which means that obviously there's a you see a chamber pot mm. under the bed, which mm. means he sort of just rolls himself onto his side Takes and a urinates into... Oh, I'm thinking of the thing. Oh, you're thinking... Either way, he's not actually fully standing up, so I don't know whether Mrs. Bucket has to help guide it out what into the chamber guide? pot. Guide? Oh. I don't know, because he's lying on his side on the bed. I, I mean, wouldn't be worried about him. It's the people in the middle. Yeah. Maybe they've got a little hole in the bed. Yeah. I bet that's what it is. A trap door. <laughs> Get the chocolate out. <laughs> they've got a trap door. So that's absolutely fine. Well, you've ruined that. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's meet oh, Willy Wonka. Um, upsetting, really. Who loves Gene Wilder as much as I do in this film? Um, no one. So we know about the cane. I mean, he's just, he's impish. He's he dressed like a pimp. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, he's dressed like a pimp. But then when you're seven, you're just like, wow, look at his purple coat. <laughs> it's fine. That thing about, though, you know, we played, we played the audio of him saying that he had this idea to pretend he had a limp and had a bad leg and couldn't walk and then he can. Do you reckon... The truth is, he read the script. There's a scene where a bloke who couldn't walk can suddenly walk and thought, I'm going to do the same thing five minutes later. Because <laughs> it's weird to have Grandpa That's Joe. That's a good point, yeah. It's like the same gag twice in a row. I totally bought his reason that Mr. No, sure. that Willy Wonka needs to be, you, you need to never be sure where you are on no, the agreed. back foot. Agreed, it's, it's sound logic. It's just strange to me watching it this time, noticing yeah, it right. comes straight after someone else does something quite similar. You're absolutely right. I mean... It's a partisan crowd, though, because he gets a fucking round of applause for doing a forward roll. It's like, what? I'm, I'm so a... impressed by that, because if you told me to do a forward roll now, I'd, I just couldn't. I would break every bone in my body. Do a forward roll. Can't. What? How can you not do a forward roll? I just roll? don't think I could. It's a confidence thing. I can do a forward roll, and I can't do anything that is athletic. <laughs> do it. No, I'm, I will do if it proves the point that you could do one too. Yeah, do it. Oh, oh my God. It. Because it's easy. Anyone can do a forward roll. The one day roll. we haven't got the cameras. Oh my god, come on then. Right, fine. Oh my god, are you going to be all right? Oh my god, I'm proving that it's really easy. I'm so worried for you. Oh my god, don't. See? Oh, that See? And that will be going up on the Twitter as I just got a video of it. Oh, well done. That was amazing. No, this is my point. You're undermining my point by applauding it. My point is it doesn't need a round of applause. You've gone quite, you've gone quite red. I feel a little bit sick, actually. That law's very hard. Now do it with a top hat on. <laughs> oh, dear. Lovely. Good stuff, Alex. Really good content. Yeah, that, 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 that audio <laughs> content. Thanks for doing that. The one week we didn't have the cameras on it here. <laughs> yeah. What? Just just A1 podcasting. <laughs> doing the roll. There you go. That's oh. the exclusive this week. Anyway. <laughs> Stick that in the trailer. 
let's get into the factory. So in truth, as much as I love this book and I love the film, I've always been underwhelmed by The Chocolate Room um, because... You've the, seen the Tim Burton version now. Well, this is the, that's the reason I was so excited. I don't like the Tim Burton version that much, but everyone was excited because we knew what would be possible with the technology mm. to create the sweets of your dreams. And like, I'm very greedy for stuff like that. So just to make it truly magical. Whereas The Chocolate Room... In this film, the sweets look good. Then sometimes they look weird and very foamy and, and cheap, basically. But it's the river of chocolate. Like mm. so, because the characters also describe it as dirty. <laughs> and Augustus Gloop, uh, Michael Bulner was like, "Oh, it was dirty, cold water." It's like it fucking looks like it. Like it doesn't look anything like chocolate. Well, they tried to thicken it. They tried pouring cocoa powder into it, and apparently it just started to smell really bad. Oh, it just doesn't. In the book, it's so luscious and creamy and thick and beautiful. And in this, it does just like stagnant, brackish water. Yeah. I mean, the, the kids do pull off like the excitement, though, because they weren't shown that room until yeah. the cameras were rolling. So it was the first take, and that's what they captured when they all walked I mean, in. I and they're hear like, you saying that. I, I, I didn't know that until I did some research. And then I watched the scene for that. I said, like, they don't look that impressed, I don't think. <laughs> do, you know what, do you know what that is? That's because how infuriating would it be if you were a kid and the owner of a chocolate factory welcomed you to a room and he goes, Everything in this room is edible. You can eat anything, anything you like. After this song, <laughs> and then cracks into pure imagination. It's, it's like I don't that like song. that song. I do like it, and I hate musicals. But I don't like it, but I like that repeating motif at yeah. the start of it. That ding, ding, ding. I think that gets it's me quite excited. Sick. Close Encounters. <laughs> And the fact they keep repeating it all through the film, it gives me a little tingle. Yeah. What I wish I didn't know, because I've I've obsessed about this. Again, like I say, we used to watch it for like almost pornographic reasons to get so hopped up about sweets and then so stoned. We'd be like, give me everything. Mm. When he eats the um, the buttercup thing, the little teacup, mm. the little yellow Edible teacup, cup and saucer, yeah. The edible cup and saucer. I for, I'm like gonna start dribbling thinking about it for years. I was like, that must be the most delicious, like lemon sorbet shit, like crystallized sugar, mm. and it's wax. I know, and I wish I didn't know it because he really sells it. Like yeah. it looks delicious, but it's not terrible. Um, so there we go. So we need to talk about um the umpalumpas. Yeah, we do. Umpalumpa, yeah. do what he do. Yeah. Uh, so we meet the Umpalumpas, which in this version are what is it? Green hair, orange skin, orange hair, green skin. Which green hair, orange skin. Say again, green hair, orange skin. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Um, and the the very famous song, the Umpalumpa song. Oh. Yeah, oh, that was so the one good. that went round the playground Oompa, constantly. Umpa I've got another puzzle for you. Yeah, and they're very judgmental. So th that song will be used to judge kids for invite them into a chocolate factory, but don't be greedy. <laughs> <laughs> Various things later on. So there. Yeah, and why does Augustus go? Yeah, that looks like a dirty, stinking. Um, bum, 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 bum. <laughs> like everything is edible. Why go for the thing that you are repulsed by? Yeah, and now in the in the version of the book that we know, they have got. White hair, I think, and rosy skin or rosy hair and white skin. But anyway, the version of the book that we have read is a later version mm. because, so let's just do this. So an earlier version of the story has the Umpalumpas as pygmy people from Africa. So when they first spy the Umpalumpas, Willy Wonkrast explains to them that they're not made out of chocolate. They're real people. They're some of my workers. And he's imported them direct from Africa. And they belong to a tribe of tiny miniature pygmies known as the Umpalumpa. I discovered them myself and I brought them over from Africa myself. The whole tribe of them, 3,000 in all, I found them in the very deepest and darkest part of the African jungle where no white man had been before. 
So that's obviously... That is not in the version I was read as a kid. But I tell you what, the version I've got at home that I've read to the children, which I do not read this bit out loud, he still talks about bringing them over from Africa, which I am not happy about. So they don't, they're not described, I don't think they're described as pygmy people. And obviously the the colour of their skin has changed, but there's still a, a huge colonialist overtone that he has enslaved people. And he's rescued them as well because he rescued them from this like... Yeah, I mean, the, 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 I mean, the version that I was read by my mum as a kid, uh, it, it's all about how they were living in fear in their homeland because mm-hmm. of like the uh, the wang doodles yeah. and the vermicious canids. The vermicious canids, And yeah. all of that. And so he was doing them a favour. Or maybe I'm just meshing together the Johnny Depp, Tim Burton version and the book. But I'm sure it's sort of, it, it, it's played as a, as a good deed. It's played as a good deed, but they're working for free now for the rest of their lives. In safety, though, they weren't happy. I think that I think the thing the thing that comes across is that they weren't happy at home. They were in danger, yeah, and now they're safe in the factory, and they fucking love it. They love it, but that's problematic, isn't it? Because of the idea of enslaved people being happy in their work. Right. Mm, yeah, that's why you can't watch Song of the South. Yeah. Um. But so, and this film is what triggered the change because, um, when this film was announced, the NAACP mm. said, "Hold on." This is not right, and it it caused Roald Dahl to go back and and have a change of heart and change the book. They said they would. Well, there were rumours that the NAACP would picket the film, but also picket movie theatres showing the film. Um, but also the sort of the furore around it. They didn't want the film to promote. They didn't want the film to be called Charlie and the Chocolate Factory anywhere because they didn't want the film to promote a racist book. So they wanted the name of the film changing. Mm. Um, but then apparently librarians, because librarians used to have a lot of power, which mm. is nice started writing to Roald Dahl, dismayed at the racism that they had that had been brought to their attention by the NAACP. Um, and he genuinely didn't seem to realise what he'd done. Like if you, you know, whether or not, was he intentionally racist? Like if you read his responses at the time, I don't think so, but that doesn't mean it, it wasn't racist. Do you mm. know what I mean? Um, so yeah, he corrected it. Um, he had some strange opinions about a lot of things. Although yeah. something else that came out, I don't know how long ago this came out, was... was um, Dahl's widow said that Charlie was originally supposed to be a black boy. Yeah. And um, his biographer said that the change to make him a white character was because his agent said it won't sell. Yeah. If you don't have a white boy in the in the lead. So, yeah, conflicting, conflicting stuff there. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. The thing I read, because I haven't read this book in years, they said that the, the, the mention of Africa has been taken out of the book. But No, it's in there. Right. Unless I've just got a very old version, mm. but which is possible. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely in there, and I definitely don't read that bit. But by making Charlie white, everyone is white now. It's, it is, you know, it's a shame that there wasn't a, yeah. you know, a child that wasn't white. Yeah. Because it's, it's, because it's this global competition. Yeah. <laughs> but all we got is a couple of Americans, a couple of Brits and a German. Mm. Yeah. Nearly, well, you need to get a... Nazi war criminal. That would have mixed things up a bit. Definitely white. <laughs> <laughs> so like you say, Augustus is in the river, he's up the pipe, he's off to the fudge room. So this, this oh, is... Oh, a- do you know that bit where they... Because obviously I realise it's a dummy um, in the wide shot in the pipe, but there is a bit where he, that kid has had to be trapped in a pipe uh, for part of those shots. And it, it gives me, it makes me feel very claustrophobic when I, I see yeah, it. Yeah, me too. It's like the bit in Aliens, the best alien film, uh, where Bishop is crawling down that pipe Ooh, on his elbows. Yeah. It's the same feeling I get with that poor kid trapped in that pipe. Because it would be hot as well, that's mm. the thing. Yeah, I do feel very sorry for him. But then, you know, like we said, labour laws, um, nothing he could do about the ones he's in there. <laughs> so. Fucking, Fucking Munich. <laughs> so the next scene that's really important, is it's weird, 
in the normal sort of the, the the pacing of the film, it isn't that important. But for every person that watches it as a child, this next scene is so important mm. because it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. So the scary boat ride. <laughs> On the so, one Catania. Yeah. So they go through the tunnel and there is images flashing throughout the tunnel. Why? Why? Because because it was 1970 and 2001 had just come out and everyone was on hallucinogens and <laughs> every every film of that era would stick something like this in there. It's terrifying and apparently the kids were terrified because yeah. they were like they, uh, the, the best quote I I found about it was um because again, they didn't know Mel Stewart, the director did not tell them what Gene Wilder was going to do. Gene Wilder didn't tell them and they were they were like He's gone mad. He's actually gone mad. And is that a millipede crawling on a man's face yeah. behind him? Is that him? a chicken and his head cut off? <laughs> he's full, fully unhinged and it's like the fires of hell are blowing to kids. Um, it's the grizzly reaper mowing and the danger must be growing. And he, then he just starts howling at them. Um, it's a really scary... We talked about this, this feeling, which may, it may be a really personal thing, but it's a feeling I had when we were watching... Creed, and it's always oh, something else has come up with with like with Arnie or something like when a person that you've put your trust in to look after you. Mm. So we, Willy Wonka is obviously paternalistic, but in this setting, he is the grown up in charge, and you know you have to put your trust in him because he's leading you around his factory. So as a child, then all of a sudden that trust is betrayed because he's the fucking lunatic, and like <laughs> what have you got yourself into? And when it's the silly thing, but like in Creed, when Rocky falls down because he's ill, you're like, oh fuck, you're like. It's yeah, dad's fallen over mm. kind of thing. It's really scary mm. for a child to feel like that. Mm. So that's why I think it's stuck with all of us because our protector has lost it. <laughs> it's uh, that's uh, is a sample that Marilyn Manson uh, uses at the start of uh, his album Portrait of an American Family, just before uh, it kicks into cake and sodomy. He uses. Uh, the uh, sample of Willy Wonka, the rowers keep on rowing. Uh, I only bring that up because there was that point. Do you remember that story where Marilyn Manson was going to play Willy Wonka? He told, I think it was like the son or something. He was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to play Willy Wonka. Um, in his head. And, yeah, because Warner Brothers. <laughs> no one wants to see Warner that. Warner Brothers the following day went to their statement, which, you know, they come out, come out swinging. They went, I don't know why he would say this. <laughs> <laughs> what a great quote. I don't know why you would say this. The lead hasn't been cast yet, but I can tell you it definitely won't be Marilyn Manson. <laughs> <sighs> the lead hasn't been cast, but we're not seeing everybody. <laughs> There's quite a small well, list. The people that made Ready Player One had to all come out and say that Gene Wilder was not going to play James Halliday because that rumour went round. I mean, he'd retired 20 years before and he was very sick with Alzheimer's and he was in his mid-80s. So yeah. it was never going to happen. And yet these stupid rumours, or I guess that's not a rumour in Marilyn he just told everyone. (laughs) Um, Interesting story. Uh, Another Mel Stewart, uh, not going to tell you the truth, uh, but I'll let you believe. Uh, The Umpa Lumpa, because the boat, the Wonkatania was on a track, uh, but he didn't tell the Umpa Lumpa who was in charge of it. And the Umpa Lumpa who was in charge, the actor thought he was actually steering the boat in that whole sequence. (laughs) Hey, the other interesting thing about that is there are only enough seats on that boat for Hmm. the kids that are left. So it's like oh, one can you. It happens later when they're on the car as well. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah that's so clever. So Wonka knew what was going to happen already. Oh, that's good. So well, it's because he'd carefully planned their death. Carefully planned the whole thing. So yeah, we get rid of a couple of kids at this section. So Violet chews the gum. That's like a three-course dinner. She turns into a giant blueberry. I, I guess the moral is that she didn't listen because every you know the 
the way Gene Wilder is like, oh no, don't stop. He's very funny. That's brilliant. His, his delivery gets funnier as the film goes along. Yeah. Where he tries less and less to stop them. Yeah, yeah. He sort of trails off or just mumbles it under his breath. And, I, and his delivery is brilliant. <laughs> no, don't stop. <laughs> Great. Um, and in between losing. Violet and Veruca. Veruca's a bad egg, so she goes down the rubbish chute. Can we talk about Veruca's song? Um, yeah. I learned something, and this is probably me uh, admitting my lack of knowledge. I never didn't know what a bean feast was before when she goes, I want a feast, I want a bean feast. I'm like, and then she goes, cream buns and donuts. I'm like, it's not beans. Not then. beans. A bean, a bean feast means just a, a, a feast, a celebratory party with plentiful food and drink. In the US or in... No idea. <laughs> But if you ever hear the phrase bean feast and someone's like, do you want to come around for a bean feast? Say yes. Say yes, but don't assume beans on the menu. <laughs> it was it was squirrels, wasn't it? Yeah, in the squirrels book, in the And book. it's squirrels in the, in the Burton film, but mm. they, they turned it into this this messed up she, battery farm. She, she wants a squirrel because they peel nuts really quickly. And, that, and, obviously, and it makes sense because her dad has got a nut factory and all the rest of it. Yeah. And this, I, I mean, the goose that lays the golden chocolate eggs yeah, does make fi- sense. It's fine. It's fine. But at this point, when he tells, uh, when Wonka tells her dad that there's a 50-50 chance, they, they light the furnace every other day. So there's a 50-50 chance she's dead. This is when it was really making me think of the Saw movies and Willy Wonka being Jigsaw, that he set these traps <laughs> to kill these children. Yeah, I think the book goes further. I think he then cancels it out again. He's like, oh, no, actually, basically the furnace is definitely lit. <sighs> Love it. It was petrifying reading that book, reading that bit where they talk about the furnace in the book. The images it conjures up in your head of this tube that just ends in a fire. Yeah. I mean, he's really graphic about how close to starving to death the family are as well earlier on. Like, they are going, they're all skin and bones, he describes them as, and like, they are, they're starving to death. And of course, I think in the book, you see the kids at the end. The kids, in the same way in the Tim Burton version, you see them. I mean, they're not cured. Like, they're, like, um, He's been stretched, for example. One of them's been stretched. Mike TV's been stretched, and yeah. uh, and Violet Beauregard's still blue, just not full of juice. Yeah. But at the end of this, you don't see them. So there is the the idea that they might be dead. He he says they're fine, but you you don't see it with your eyes, do you? Mm. Um, in between those sections, though, importantly, Grandpa Joel ignores Willy Wonka just so flagrantly. And he's like, let's have some of that fizzy lifting drink. Don't matter. Yeah. It's like the man's just said, <laughs> don't touch it. Mm. And again, Charlie, you've been betrayed by a grown-up because the man that you trust to get you through this, mm. who you love so much, is inducing you to steal, mm. uh, which is bad. Uh, so then they end up flying towards the fan and then they burp their way to safety. Have some of this fizzy lifting drink and very clear wires will carry you up oh into God, the you air. you can see the harness <laughs> on I mean, bless them. <laughs> but then when I was a child, I was like, that's incredible. Yeah, like they're sure. actually flying. Um, yeah, it's, it, it, we were easily pleased, weren't we, back in the back yeah. in the day? Just put them in a in a what a tube with some actual bubbles. <laughs> There's a bit in Willy Wonka in Willy Wonka kicks just basically a, a party balloon from like an act that you can get in the corner shop, yeah. and he's like in the chocolate factory. He's like, look at this marble balloon. It's like <laughs> you get them in Poundland. Yeah, but but don't you think when you see him doing that, you think it's edible balloon, and so yeah. that makes it different. Yeah, that's not a normal balloon. <laughs> and then you watch that, like, that's just a normal balloon. And think, oh, I wonder what it tastes like. It'd be marshmallows. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the fizzy lift? drink sequence in the yes. book is it like this oh, no sorry I don't know it's oh. not no I can't remember the, the fan bit is but I don't remember the burp but it seems odd that they would because that's such a fun oh, yeah. kid thing I don't like the burps no, you, you don't. Because well, he's got good manners really? I just don't like the burps and farts in films you know this yeah, yeah alright yep he very rarely burps fine, fine, fine. I don't think he can burp actually 
Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't rarely burp. I just don't do it in front of you. <laughs> he goes to the loo. To I do it. it all the time. Oh, I thought you had a really weak bladder, <laughs> but you're going to burp. Wow. Or, or do a popsy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Why does that make it worse? That's so much Why worse. Why does that make it worse? A popsy. <laughs> Um, Mike TV is miniaturised by being sent by television. Is he sent by television? I don't understand this. I don't know what the television connection is. He's just in. He's just in. He's he's in the Seth Brundle machine from The Fly. Yeah, he is. It's not a television. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it's the one section that doesn't. Well, along with Violet, it just doesn't quite work. That he he loves TV so much and he wants to be on TV, but Mm. literally being in that telly to be miniature isn't quite the same thing. Uh, which you would, which you knew when you were seven, and you know it just it didn't quite watch. It's quite it's cute though in terms of like the effects because the budget was obviously really small, where they'd sort of pinch him out of the yeah. telly and like dangle him. And the line, Gene Wilder's got a line where he says to an umpa "You'll find the boy in his mother's purse, but be extremely careful." It's like that's such a weird thing to say. Like it's it's not and be extremely careful, mm. it's but be extremely careful, <laughs> which I think is brilliant. Um, so then we've got rid of the kids, um, apart from Charlie. But the tour is suddenly over um, and he looks confused and he says, did we do something wrong? And Grandpa Joe loses his shit because he's like, I'm going to go and talk f- to this man. I feel like, Alex, can, have you got an impression brewing of, of Willy Wonka when he tells him? I think I've done it about six times in the last two weeks. <laughs> I like it when you do it. But you, you've done it with a different line. <laughs> oh, yeah, I have. <laughs> you lose! You get nothing! Good day, sir! <laughs> How's it's that? really good. Yeah, cool. Um, so there's, he's very, very, very angry. like a dancing monkey on this show. <laughs> do a forward roll. <laughs> do a forward roll. I didn't make do you do quote. it. Do that quote. I did. The <laughs> power <laughs> balance is such that I don't think I could make you do a forward oh, roll. Listen, I was, just trying to, I, was, I was just trying to. I was just trying to scare Chris actually, because obviously we've got the race coming up know, at some I'm point in the future. Now, now I realise we could do a forward roll in here. I'm wondering if we could do the race around this table. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> Um, so yeah, um, that's it. Grandpa Joe calls Gene Wilder, calls Willy Wonka an inhuman monster, which is pretty strong. And Grandpa Joe on the way out, which I'd completely forgotten, is basically saying to Charlie, he's like, fuck him, we will give Slugworth a gobstopper. Like, fuck yeah. this guy, which yeah. is really bad. No, Grandpa Joe is a terrible moral compass. Yeah, uh, for he doesn't Charlie. deserve any of it. But I, Slug, Slugworth has, has offered them food and housing and yeah. stuff. I don't blame Grandpa Joe for, for no, taking him not. up on that. At this point, yeah, I love all the half ornaments and half yeah. chair, mm. and I, I love the fact that when Mel Stewart was asked, he was like, "So what's uh, the symbolism?" Uh, and that he's like, "None. Looks just, good. Just looks good. Looks weird. And it doesn't mean anything." <laughs> um, but Charlie gives the slug, the slug, the gobstopper back. Um, oh, that moment! Mm. That moment where he places it down. And Gene Wilder, just like you see his eyes move to it and he stops writing. Yeah. Oh, right. And it's, and it's, it's really good. And his line is good there as well. So so shines a good deed in a weary world. Yeah. It's a really lovely line. Yeah. Is it, has he lifted it? Is it a poem? Like, I'm not sure about that one because most of it is, isn't it? Yeah. Most of his script is lifted from poems <laughs> and plays and... and um, so, yeah. Yeah, so Oscar much, Wilde. actually. <laughs> but but I, by, by so, I mean... Too much, really, yeah. <laughs> to not give them credit. Because <laughs> I didn't realise the suspense is terrible. I hope it will last. That's important to being earnest. Oh, is it? Oh, jeez, yeah. I didn't even know One that. One of the all-time greats. Um, Reese Slugworth. Mm. So Slugworth um, is really Mr. Wilkinson. So how long has Slugworth been in play? Because the stuff they explain at the start is that Wonka has spent 10 years... Um, it, 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 
um, trying to keep his his concoctions from other rival factories. Mm. So has he been financing a rival factory that Slugworth works at for this plan? Wow, yeah. To- oh, I was always under the impression that Slugworth is a different human being, that this is just a guy pretending to be Slugworth. He isn't actually the Slugworth. Slugworth is another man oh. who exists in this world, and this is one of his employees who he said, go out. And say you're slugworth because no internet. You can't you can't verify okay. if he is or not. I just thought he, this has been a ten year plan. He's yeah. been he's been slowly brewing. I but... quite like it. Your version. Yeah, though. yours is much <laughs> yeah. better. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Thanks. he wins the factory for being an honest child and a loving child. So then they're in the lift. Mm. Oh, call, um, call it call it a stupid name. The Great Glass Wonkavator. Ugh. Yeah, that's not very Come good. on. So then he's so Wonka then explains everything. You know, I had this contest and you've won, and the other kids will be fine, and you get everything, and you can move your family, and and everything's fine. Finn, Finn, yeah. So then the original <laughs> ending, apparently. So Mel Stewart is very funny about this, and he he got the script, and he's like, and he says, "Granddad says yippee," and that's it. And he was like, "No," but David Seltzer had gone home, um, and had gone on holiday. He says, um, to somewhere really remote. And was not contactable. But Mel Stewart was like, where's the kid? Where's the kid? <laughs> the kid's right and ending. So managed to track him down. There's like one pay phone in this place where David Seltzer was. He says it was tied to a tree. And this phone is ringing by a lake. And he picks it up. Hello. And it's Mel Stewart. And he's like, I want an ending. And he said he panicked because he was on holiday. And he pitched the only thing he could think of, which is, and they all lived happily ever after. And he said he was on the phone and he was like wincing, expecting to get like the shit kicked out of him for like, how dare you even suggest that? And he hears like mumbling, no, 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 no. We love it. Perfect. Perfect. Absolutely brilliant. Which is why you get, don't forget what happened to the man who suddenly got everything he always wanted. Should have been person, but whatever. Um, he lived happily ever after. And it is lovely. Yeah, but it also makes me wonder what happened 30 seconds later. Because Charlie says, oh, I get everything I ever wanted. Can I have my dead da- dad back, please? <laughs> well, well, apart apart from that, Charlie, you can have anything apart from your dead dad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of bad lines in this last bit. The bit where they're going through the roof and they smash through the roof of the factory and Grandpa Joe goes, you did it, Mr. Wonka. Congratulations. Like, that is the high point of his entire tour. Like, mm. he has seen, like, he's been able to float from fizzy drinks. He's seen chocolate rivers, but smashing through a roof, that's all he wanted. <laughs> he's flying in an elevator. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you like seeing three men uh, blast through the glass ceiling? <laughs> Vicky? <laughs> it's about time, wasn't it? <laughs> I feel like there's also a con at play here, though, because Willy, Willy Wonka has potentially killed all these children. <laughs> And he now can't get sued because Charlie owns the factory. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Charlie's the one going to court now. You're because right. some of these dads, some of parents are, are going to be suing. <laughs> I guarantee you, Veruca's dad is suing. Yeah. There's a nice bit, though, where he goes, I can't go on forever and I don't really want to try. Yeah. And just as a line, it makes you think that he possibly could find a way to be immortal, but mm. he just doesn't want to. Yeah. So nice. It's um, really good. Although I don't like the bit where he goes, uh, I want to give the fracture to a child because a grown-up would want to do it their way, not mine, which is basically going, don't have any ideas, Charlie. Yeah. I mean, literally, I'm going to tell you how yeah. to run this place. I wanted to give it to a grown-up, but you can't manipulate them as easily. <laughs> this, so... this is yeah. a dictatorship. Yeah. <laughs> don't have any ideas and probably don't grow up either. <laughs> you see how I treat the Oompa Loompas. <laughs> Here's the orange face paint. <laughs> Um, and that's all I have. Excellent. Lovely stuff. That's me done. Would you like to do the bits? Yeah. Um, Chris, what was your best scene? I actually liked when they entered the chocolate factory. Okay. I found that, I found that the most magical moment. So I might change mine to that as you were so down on it. Yeah. Okay. 
as a child, that was my reason for watching this film was it just looked so colourful and exciting. Um, but my original one was anytime the Oompa Loompa song happens because I like that as well. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, ditto on the Oompa Loompa song. Mm. Uh, but ultimately, it is the scene in The Office when Charlie... Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the whole scene, you get nothing, all of that, Gene Wilder being terrifying, but specifically the placing of the everlasting gobstopper next to him yeah. and and his look and then he's like Charlie oh that's better can I have that yeah that's you lose is my favourite scene mm. I just like watching him go fucking bananas um, it's brilliant mm. uh, your most valuable whatever Alex Michael Ironside seems wrong <laughs> That's last week. I didn't, I didn't delete that. He played Augustus Glue. So not Michael Ironside. All right. Okay. Uh, Roald Dahl, really. Um, you know. It's, <laughs> For the film he disowned. Yeah. It's weird because I've, I've actually written that. I'm like, it doesn't make any sense to sort of credit him for a film that he walked away from. And yet the story in itself and the magic of the story comes from that book. So if I'm ignoring the fact that... You know, he doesn't want to be credited with the film Gene Wilder. He's just absolutely amazing in this. Mm-hmm. Who did you pick? Gene Dahl or okay. Roald Wilder. Okay. What about you? Well, it's obviously Gene Wilder. Yeah. I don't know if I particularly like this story, but, yeah. but he makes this movie. You he don't like elevates. the story? Not particularly. I think I like the ending, but I don't like what comes before. I think it's unnecessarily cruel. But I think, um, yeah, Gene Wilder absolutely elevates this material and is what it's it's what has made this movie stand the test. It of is time. interesting because the cruelty. So it didn't do very well, and people think now it's because Gene Wilder says, "Oh, the mums thought it was cruel to the kids," but then over time, the, the kids loved it, kind yeah. of thing. And so it is true that. Children can withstand more than the grown-ups think they can. And the way that Gene Wilder explains it, I do agree with, which is kids really do want to know where the limits are like because that's what makes them feel safe. So that's why they push and test all the time to make sure that you will always have the same reaction, which is you cannot do this thing. This you can do, this you can't do. And that's what makes them feel safe. And Willy Wonka is a person who will set those limits for you and be consistent in that sort of thing. Um, I don't know if that's even true in the film because he just goes like a bit like nuts for no reason. But I do understand that children like it because it's because of its cruelty and because kids get burned to death in furnaces and stuff like that. Children like I liked like it because of the chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> no, the spectre of death is really enticing as a child. Reading this book and thinking people were going to be burnt in furnaces was it, j- j- that jeopardy was really, really good. But yeah, my MVW is obviously also Gene Wilder. Mm. Um, All right, mine's Gene Wilder as well. Then. Three yeah, for three. Yeah, Come on. Uh, what would you change, Alex? Uh, call it the Great Glass Elevator, you fucking weirdos. <laughs> That's nice. I thought you were going to say Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That'll yeah. do as well. Yeah, let's have that. Um, I would get rid of, I think it's called Cheer Up Charlie, that song. Oh. But you said you didn't oh, like it. Oh, yeah, it's bad. It's just awful. Who's that for? I mean, in musicals, on Broadway, you've got to have the I Want song, yeah. which no one, I don't think anyone really likes that song. But here, it's just, it's just a pain in the ass. It's awful. My change is because of that song um, I think in a scene or just showing Charlie's mum at the end somehow like she gets a little wave from the ground or something because their relationship is beefed up a bit in the film version and there's no payoff for his mum and it would just be nice if they got a bit of a moment together where she's like I knew you always had a chance and thank you so much or whatever <laughs> I agree, agree. <laughs> she said I knew you always had a chance I just told you the opposite repeatedly because she's being a good mum right. she's, she's you know you have to have an managing expectations yes and somewhere else, you've got Grandpa Joel's energy of like, you can smash this thing, Charlie, no problem. And she's offering her son an alternative. Which would you 
take. If one of your kids was like, I really want a golden ticket so I can change our lives, mummy, <laughs> would you say, would you say you don't stand a fucking chance or of course you stand a chance? Mommy? I would say you've got the same chance as everyone else. 100 billion people. Uh, there's a hundred, but there is a hundred billion people in the world. <laughs> then, then they're on their iPhone going, <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about, mum? Yeah. It really isn't. Anyway, I must get back to the washing factory. <laughs> um, that's it, we're done. All right then, that is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory done. Quiz? Quiz. quiz. Chocolatey I'm, quiz. I'm off the quizzes, I've got to be honest. Because I keep losing. Come on. I feel like this one is for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, what? You're designing a quiz to get Vicky back into the game. That I'm is gonna, unacceptable. I'm going to give you a chocolate bar advertising slogan. Oh my God. Brilliant. And you've got to tell me the bar. Right. Okay. So, for example... I, sorry, just to just check. Am I playing this or do you just want to see whether Vicky... For example, this is not... This is not going to count but if I said have a break have a kick out see oh I think Vicky got that point to Vicky no I'm joking I'm joking that wasn't that wasn't the real quiz okay you got to be quick now what is just enough to give the kids a treat finger of fidge finger of fudge <laughs> finger of fidge I'm sorry that doesn't I have to take your first answer finger of fudge I think you are going to be quite good at this what is the taste of paradise bounty a bounty fuck <laughs> I'm even I'm even addressing Vicky. I'm looking at her. I'm giving her eye contact. <laughs> this is a bad one. This is a bad one. Okay. It's not for girls. Yorkie. Yeah, Vicky. Oh. Vicky knew because she's still steaming. She's so angry. I stopped. Do you know I stopped eating Yorkies? I mean, it was bloody awful. It was a bloody awful idea. Okay. It was, but it was, it was a, wasn't it a guy in a truck eating it? It was a truckers. Yeah. Yeah. What sweet, not chocolate bar, what sweet was made to make your, make your mouth water? Skittles. Incorrect. Opal fruit. Star correct. Best. Yes. Oh. I would have taken either, but opal fruits is the correct answer. Thank you. <laughs> Two all. Two left. What is the chocolate that melts in your mouth, not in your hands? Minstrels. Maltesers. Both wrong. Oh my god. Melts in your mouth, not in your hands. But you're both really close. Um, Revels. Smarties. Fuck's sake. <laughs> uh, buttons. No. Cadbury's buttons. I like Smarties. Um, M&M's Correct Oh, oh that was that's Okay you need this You need this to tie it up And go to the tiebreaker I know um, What comes up peanuts Slice after slice Snickers, Snickers. Marathon That was Vicky Because <laughs> I would have accepted Marathon or Snickers And she said Snickers yes. So that is three all So the tiebreaker <laughs> We are in the midst Of Steven Spielberg season mm. In the Wikipedia list of highest grossing directors worldwide, Steven Spielberg sits at the top at number one. Mm. But how much money have his film made globally? And this figure is not adjusted for inflation. So I want you to give me a very large number for how much Spielberg's films have grossed globally. Alex, I'm going to come to you first. Um, Six billion dollars. No, four. No. Four billion, five billion, five billion dollars. Five billion billion. Five billion. Dollars. Sorry, I'll be writing you down. You should write it down yourself. Five billion dollars. <laughs> Vicky. So, so, so I've just got to go higher or lower than him. Basically, yeah. So if I say five billion and one dollar, is yes. that acceptable? That is acceptable. That's what I'm saying. You've won. Yes! <laughs> it's it's over ten billion. Over 10 billion. Thank you. Well played, Vicky. Do you like the quiz now? Yeah. (laughs) (sighs) I threw it. I threw it to get you back in the game. I think you did, yeah. It's all right. I know. (laughs) 
Lovely stuff, right? That is the quiz done. Vicky's excited again. Everyone's happy on Clash Pod. Next week on the show, uh, it begins, doesn't it, Chris? Indiana Mania. It is. We're doing Rise of the Lost Ark and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. But there's still time to get in your memories of watching the third and fourth films. We're too late to cover uh, Raiders and Temple of Doom. We will have recorded them by the time you hear this. But email us, show at clashpod.com if you've got fond memories of watching Indiana Jones Last Crusade or memories of watching <laughs> Kingdom of the Crystal Skull because at the moment we haven't got a lot on that. Mm. doesn't have to be positive memories. <laughs> what, we ha- what we have a lot of is there are only three indie movies. What are you talking about? Yes. <laughs> right, uh, before then, we're back on Thursday with Ready Player One. In the meantime, please subscribe to us, rate and review us. If you have the time, it's a great help. And check in with us on Twitter and Instagram at ClashPod. See you Thursday. Bye-bye. This was a Stack production and part of the ACAST Creative Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.